Harcourt Valley Vineyards is now bringing their award-winning wines, ginger beer and raspberry mead to your door, offering free delivery in central Victoria and Melbourne. Their lockdown wine box special includes a combination of Riesling, Grenache Rosé, Barb Shiraz, Cab Sav and Mount Camel Shiraz. Check out their Facebook page or Instagram for details or visit harcourtvalley.com.au. Harcourt Valley Vineyards is a full-bodied sponsor of Main FM. Knocked on your door. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Room. All aboard. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with myself as your host, Paul J. Laverty. I hope you're keeping safe, I hope you're keeping well, and I hope you've been using your free time wisely to read. I know I have. It's one of been one of the, the very few silver linings of the pandemic that we're going through at the moment. Later in the show, writer Dimity Pettifer will be in to tell us about her new memoir, A Maid Among Men. I actually recorded the interview a couple of months ago just before the pandemic and that's why it was recorded in the studio. It was the, one of the last ones I actually managed to do and Dimity had a bit of a sore throat during it but it was nothing too serious. First though, it's that time of the month for another author retrospective. Now, as a teenager, a real hero of mine was Jack Kerouac. You would probably know him best as the author of on the road and for being one of the beats which was a collective of writers in the 50s and 60s uh, also featuring William Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, Neil Cassidy and a few others. I was asked recently to name my top five books of all time quite a daunting prospect and I was a few days later and I just couldn't believe that I'd left off on the road because as a teenager in particular it had a profound influence on me. I couldn't tell you how many times I've read it, but probably more so than any other book. Somewhere, probably more than five, somewhere less than ten anyway. Um, and I'm probably, I'm such a big fan that I'm probably one of the only people in the world who actually thinks the film adaptation, uh, which was in 2012 by the director Walter Salas and starring Sam Riley, I'm probably one of the few people that actually think it stands up. I just think it's a phenomenal story. Let's hear a bit about Jack Kerouac from his bio here. Jack Kerouac was born in 1922 in Lowell, Massachusetts, the youngest of three children in a French-Canadian family. In high school, he was a star player on the local football team and went on to win football scholarships to Horace Mann, which is a New York prep school, and Columbia College. He left Columbia and football in his sophomore year, joined the Merchant Marines and became the Restless Wanderings and began the Restless Wanderings that were to continue for the greater part of his life. His first novel, The Town and the City, was published in 1950. On the Road, although written in 1951, in a few hectic days on a scroll of newsprint, was not published until 1957. 
It made him one of the most controversial, controversial and best-known writers of his time. Publication of his many other books, among them The Subterraneans, Dr. Sachs, and Desolation Angels followed. Jack Kerouac died in 1969 in St. Petersburg, Florida, at the age of just 47. He, um, he struggled a lot with depression and alcoholism, particularly in his later years, and it was alcoholism in particular which took his life. And I think that had a big impact on his work, and he never, he never really reached those heights that he did with On the Road, and I don't think his work holds up particularly well. But On the Road, well... That really is something. Today, I've, I've managed to track down a spoken word recording he did in 1959 with jazzman Steve Allen. The record is called Poetry for the Beat Generation. And here is the man himself, Jack Kerouac, reading, or rather performing, the uh, McDougal Street Blues. Pitiful drawings of, an, of images on an iron fence ranged there by self-believing artists with no hair and black berets showing green seas eating at rock and pleiades of time pestiferating at moon squid salt flat tip fly toe tat sand traps with cigar smoking interests puffing at the stroll. I mean sincerely, naive sailors buying prints Women with red banjos on their handbags, and arts handy, crafty, slow shuffling artists of Washington Square, passing in what they think is a happy June afternoon. Good God, the sorrow! They don't even listen to me when I try to tell them they will die. They say, of course I know I'll die. Why should you mention it now? Why should I worry about it? It'll happen, it'll happen now. I want a good time. Excuse me, it's a beautiful, happy June afternoon. I want to walk in. Why are you so tragic and gloomy? And on the corner at the pony stables on 6th Avenue and 4th sits Bodhisattva meditating in hobo rags, praying at Joe Gould's chair for the emancipation of the shufflers passing by. Immovable in meditation, he offers his hand and feet to the passers-by, and nobody believes that there's nothing to believe in. <laughs> Listen to me. There is no sidewalk art show. No strollers are there. No poem here. No June afternoon of old. But only imagelessness. Unrepresented on the iron fence of bald artists with black berets passing by one moment less than this is future nothingness already. The chess men are silent, assembling ready for funny war. Voices of Washington Square Blues rise to my bodhisattva poem window. I will describe them. No need, no words to describe the sound of ignorance. This is the sound of ignorance. They are strolling to their death, watching the pictures of hell, eating ice cream of ignorance on wood sticks that were once sincere in trees. But I can't write poetry, just prose. I mean, this is prose, not poetry. But I want to be sincere. That was Jack Kerouac speaking and Steve Allen 
on the keys and they were performing the McDougal Street Blues. Next up, I want to play you a little bit of an interview. There's not much out there with Jack Kerouac, to be honest, but I managed to track down an appearance he made on the Ben Hecht show, which was in 1959. And this is him in conversation with Ben Hecht. Hello, Jack. Hello, Ben. You're the fellow who invented the word or the phrase beat generation, eh? Yeah. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't mind not answering them if you don't want them. First, I read um, in one of your books a very interesting statement. You said that, quotes, everyone feels like a zombie, and somewhere at the end of the night, the great Dracula figure of modern disintegration and madness, the devil, if you will, is running the whole thing. I like that because that's the way I've felt about the world often, but I'd like to know if our devils are the same. Who's this devil? Well, that's a quote from a character says that. You don't believe there's a devil running the world? Well, I'm bitterly no, disappointed. The devil is defeated. He's been licked by the sure. beats? No, no, by God. God licked him. Sure. Well, about God, you made a statement that also fascinated me. You said that... Let me get this, put my glasses on and get it accurate. You said that... Um, your philosophy you described as being, quotes, Catholic, Catholicism mixed with gin. In what gin? proportions? G-I-N? G-I-N. That's what it said <laughs> on a tape recording interview I heard of yours. Mm. In what proportions, Jack, in, is the gin improved by this mixture? What did you mean by liquor and religion? Reality and spirituality or what? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't understand your question, though. Uh, well, let's jump to another question. How did the mixture improve? You mean that the gin get did, better? Did the gin get helped by being religious, or did the religion get helped by being full of gin? <laughs> Wh which is improved? I don't know. That's a, That's a phony question. Non sequitur, right. Now, let's go back. You boys, I gather from having read your very fine book, which I bought because I thought it was about drama critics. It's not drama bums, it's dharma bums. Oh, dharma, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, in this book, you seem to have a wonderfully good time, and you seem to turn, have it by turning your back on all the things that uh, the bourgeoisie have to contend with. What are the things you most like to turn your back on? Though you say the devil has been defeated, who are the devils that make you turn your back? Do you like politics? No. you like the Republican Party? I like Eisenhower. As you a like man. That? As a man. You great do, man. Huh? He's a great man? Nice man. Why do you think he's a nice man? He's the kind of man that, uh, you know, you'd like to shake hands with. He's a nice man. You know he's a nice man. <laughs> I don't know anything about I politics. I Mr. Eisenhower, but I, I, I don't think he's a, a great man or even he an intelligent is. man. probably is. You know, the what? American people probably don't realize what he's doing. What's he doing? I don't know. We'll figure it out in 50 years. <laughs> 50 years you can look back. I think he's one of the leaders of the Beat Generation. <laughs> I think he's turned his back on us, just as you boys have. No, no. Probably the same reason. Are you going to vote the next election? I've never voted. Well, you, you, how can you think of any one politician is better than another? Wouldn't that lure you into casting a ballot? I shouldn't be proud of never having voted, but I never have. I don't know what's the matter. Uh, I can understand. I only voted once and under protest. You too? Yeah, once. For the wrong guy. Where? Where? Uh, well, Roosevelt. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
you like Ike, you think he's adorable. What do you think of his pals? There's a fellow called Dulles who creates... Well, he spent a whole lifetime learning all the techniques of... He's great, too? He's a great technician. Yeah. At what? Back and uh, uh, running the Secretary of State office, you know, uh, running the... Uh, you boys have had your backs turned No, no, I don't agree. Happily, I, I don't know, agree what? with my uh, huh? confrères, you know, about politics. Oh, they're against. And you're, you're, they're, you're, they're, they have the same ideas you have. They have, huh? All of them. All Bad all ones, ones, huh? No, no. Um, there's no reason to criticize anybody, actually. You're, um... We're all going to go to heaven. We are? All of Me us. Me too? Everything, even oh. the microphone. <laughs> I like that. You too. Okay. Uh, and your cigar. I wouldn't, couldn't do without it. Uh, Jack, have you ever been in trouble with the government forces that you like so well? I'm, I gather not, because you seem too full of human mm -hmm. kindness. Um, has, has a government ever got sore or interested in the beat generation? you think there'll ever be a time when you, you boys will be hailed up and you'll have to swear that you never belong to the beat generation or belong to it now? you think they'll ever get after Buddha? Gee, they can't get to him. They can't? Well, they, they keep trying to get to a lot of things that they can't get to. Buddha, you know, his lifetime, nobody ever laid a hand on him. You think he's safe? You think it's safe worshipping Buddha? You think you boys are out of the uh, reach of our, our law enforcers by worshipping Buddha? I don't only worship Buddha. Whom else? I worship Christ, and I worship Allah, and I worship Yahweh, who is the Father. Uh -huh. I worship them all. Where did you get this worship instinct? Because I read your book. Well, and I, I was born. I, I, I think it's real. I think you really worship. In a religious home. I see. You know, well, my father was very sensitive. And I was pleased to read in your book that sex didn't uh, exist outside of the realm of worshippers, too. What? I said worshippers don't do not necessarily not go in for sex, which is usually the rule. Well, yeah, they should. They should. You think sex helps worship along? No, I mean, both are necessary. They're not Including separate. the gin. The gin, huh? <laughs> you boys love life, providing you don't have to um, be hurt by it. Is that one of your ideas? No, no, we've been hurt. Right? Who hurts you? Hunger. Uh, I've been starving many times on the road and everything. Yeah. Did you... You've written a lot of books, haven't you? I hear you've got about four or five books that haven't been published yet. That's right. And you write ten hours a day? No, I wrote... I've been writing since I'm uh, 11. 11. But, uh, I mean... I just <laughs> went through a furious three years when I thought I'd be like Shakespeare and write three masterpieces a uh, year. Well, that's not being very back-turning when you write uh, ten hours a day and three masterpieces a year. What, what makes they beat people if they are the people you, in your last book, The Drama Bums? Uh, what, what makes them Dharma. climb... Dharma Bums, okay. What makes them climb mountains, look at their navel and yell, um, um, why do they go in for mysticism? They don't look at their navels. They don't? Whose navel they look at? <laughs> yeah. I, I read in your book, there's a, a new cult called, not cult, but a new uh, phrase, called, a word called yam. What's that? Yab-yum. Yab-yum. That comes from me in Tibet. It's an ancient ceremony. It pleased me, this new thing, because I remember it in my youth. It's old. A lot of boys oh. and one girl. Is there any... Uh, no, no, one man and one girl and priests chanting around, beating on drums. One and man and one girl? Yeah, that's all and in the middle. I read a party that you described with, I think it was five men and one girl. Well, that was a sloppy yab-yum. A sloppy. It should be just one and one? 
Yeah. That's depressing. Because I, uh, I, I figured out, being a, an amateur psychiatrist, that that had something to do with homosexuality. Oh, no. It hasn't. No. This is not a personal attack. <laughs> Having a good look at your puss, I wouldn't even think of making such a suggestion. That's one thing I'm not, is homosexual. Yeah. You, have, you, have you an opinion or an attitude about homosexuals? They can do what they want. They are, they, are they productive and constructive people like the rest of the world? I could name you names. Yeah, we will not go into great, that. Great, creative, yeah. including <laughs> Socrates. Yeah, Socrates. Who else? My God. It's Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius uh, like, like Fergus, the head of Sparta. I knew them all. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about people who um, don't climb the mountain, don't have mysticism? What do you think about a fellow like me who, on a treadmill, always try to make a little money. Ah, you, you lived a wonderful life. I have. Yeah, I could write a book about the way you've lived. A newspaper man, traveling around, writing scripts, plays. People well, throwing roses at you. Looks like I was fishing for something, but I wasn't. No, um, no, no. What, what turned you boys to the Buddha? Was it that you thought that the Christian civilization was a pretty silly thing? And that a religion, the Christian religion, which is possibly produced maybe 800 million murders, crucifixions, mm. auto defays, wasn't quite as spiritual. That's one thing I thought of, because yeah. in Buddhism there had not been one not crusader, one. Not, not one. one crusading war. Buddhism never hurt anyone. Never. Christianity has torn the world apart, there have been almost... Yeah, but that was because of charlatans who came in and took it over from Peter. Who, who's to judge? They don't seem like charlatans when they're in the box. <laughs> they just seem like people in charge. Later they turn out charlatans. An awful lot of people. The, the fellows that burned Joan didn't seem like charlatans to Joan, I bet you. Um, Peter was a fisherman. Yeah. One thing I noticed in the writings of you and your pals, Mr. Ginsburg particularly, is that you have an affinity for Negroes. Is it that the Negro is an authentic, automatic beat without having to put on a, a title? Yeah, he is the original beat he is the, character. He's the one that starts. He's outside. Yeah. That was part one of Jack Kerouac's interview with Ben Hecht on his show in 1959. Let's break it up a little and go back to his recording with Steve Allen on the keys. And this track is called The Bowery Blues. The Bowery Blues. Cooper Union Cafeteria. Late cold March afternoon. The street, 3rd Avenue, is cobbled, cold, desolate with trolley tracks. Some guy on the corner is waving his hand down, knowing somebody emphatically. And out of sight behind a black and white pillar, cold clowns in the moment horror of the world. Puerto Rican kid with a green stick stooping to bat the sidewalk but changing his mind and halting on. Two new small trucks parked. The withery gray rose stone building across the street with its rhyme heights in the quiet winter sky. Inside are quiet workers by neon and tablatures practicing fanning lessons with the murderous marble. A yakking blonde with awful wide smile 
is macking her mouth, lip talk, to an old bodhisattva papa on the sidewalk. The tense quickness of her hard working words. Meanwhile, a funny bum with no sense tries to panhandle them and is waved away stumbling. He doesn't care about society, women embarrassed with paper bags on sidewalks. Unutterably sad, the broken winter shattered face of a man passing in the bleak ripple, followed by a Russian boxer with an expression of Baltic lostness. Something grim and Slavic and so helplessly beyond my conditional ken or ability to evaluate and believe that I shudder as at the touch of cold stone to think of him. The sickened old awfulness of it, like slats of wood wall in an old brewery truck. For I prophesy that the night will be bright with the gold of old in the inn within. Shin McIntario with no money, no bets, no health, calls on by pawing his inside coat, no hope of ever seeing Miami again since he lost his pickles in Orchard Street and his father stutel fettered him to hospitals of gray bleak bone drying in the moon that mortifies his coat and words sing what mine brings. Bleeding bloody seamen of Indian England battering in coats of Third Avenue with no sense and their brows streaked with wine sop. Blood of obligate sad adventurers far from the pipe of Liverpool, the bean of bone, bottle liffy brown, far hung unseen top tippers of ocean wave. God bless and sing for them as I cannot. Cooper Union Blues, the Muzak is too sod. The gaiety of grave candidates makes my gut weep and my brains are awash down the side of the blue-orange table. As little sneery, snurfling Puerto Rican hero bats by booming his coat pocket, fisting to the vicinity where mortuary waits for bait. What kind of service do broken garrels give? Oh, have pity, bodhisattva of intellectual radiance. Save the world from her eyebrows of beautiful illusion. Hope, oh hope, oh nope, oh pope. Yeah. Now, another thing in your book fascinated me. You, you wrote about drugs very charmingly and honestly. This is sort of holy water for the beat generation. What drugs did you use? And where'd you get them? How much did they cost? Well, are they expensive? I know a lot of people who take them, and I know all the facts about it. Yeah, now they're expensive. Yeah. Are drugs as vicious and horrifying as uh, the propagandists make out? Yeah, the, the drugs that you take through the needle are vicious and horrifying. You got to smoke them, sniff them, or what? Well, uh, also sleeping pills are vicious and horrifying. Yeah, I, I take Worst those. of all, yeah, I take those. Pills. I'm the worst offender. I, take, I can't stand them, but I take them. Never take three. No, not unless I want to say goodbye. No, um, in a way. Yeah. Six are goodbye. Uh, Jack. Well, actually, fifty. Fifty are goodbye. No. Fifty. We had a lot of beats in our time. Uh, didn't wear that title. Did you ever hear the, hear the Dill Pickle Club in Chicago? No, I've never been to Chicago. Ever, well, fame gets around you. <laughs> Jack Jones, you never heard of? Jack Jones? Yeah. I thought you were going to say Jack Reed. I knew Jack Reed, yes. He was a great reporter who preferred Russia to the United States. God knows why. And who was Jack Jones? Jack, Jack Jones ran the Dill Pickle Club. He was an ex-sailor, 
He assembled maybe 300 people in a little barn, gave them a place to sleep, and a podium from which to recite their poems. That's nice. Yeah. They're doing that now. They're doing that now. Well, we did that in Chicago in 1920. Um, tell, tell me, if, is this mysticism really a religious training, or is it uh, a ruse to avoid the flings and arrows of our time? Most mystics mm. have put a hat on right over their ears so they wouldn't see what's going on. It's hard to say. Do you like the world? Um, not the people. I like I'm, the essence of the world, but not the world itself. Do you like its organizations, its uh, its advertising factotums, its automobiles, its assembly line like souls? It's bad. Well, it's, it's silly. Let, let's let's remove it, huh? But it feeds me. It brings me cans of pork and beans and stuff. Briefly, you'll find out you're going to starve again after this new book, The Drama Bums, <laughs> runs its course. You're going to be from hunger. Authors never get fed. They yes, always sir. have to beg and plead. Uh, I asked you this before. Uh, how, how do people get involved in your group? And is it growing? How, how does one... I yeah, I was going to say, how not, do you qualify as a beat fellow? It's not a bohemian generation. It's like the lost generation contains millions of people. There were millions of uh, bathtub gins and yeah. uh, flappers and raccoon coats. Yeah. Now there are millions of black slacks and yeah. ponytails. And You're ahead of those. No, I'm saying the beat generation, the bohemian has always been with us, even in the days of Walt Whitman. That's right. And also, there's only a few thousand bohemians ever. But usually the Bohemian or the Beat or the Lost Generation came after a war, and you boys seem to have beat the gun. You've, you've was come Rembrandt before the next a Bohemian war. Rembrandt? Mm. No, he was an artist, a painter. And the people who hung around him were Bohemians? Kibitzers, kibitzers. Were they Bohemians? They were maybe soft touches for a good painter. Half the painter lives on that. But are you boys afraid of the next war, worried about it? Do you look I forward? I don't think there'll be one. Why not? Because uh, things are in good hands. You think if there were enough beats who do a spiritual sit-down strike, civilization could be spared another war? Because nobody would attend? No, that's too hysterical. You don't History. believe in, uh, in asserting yourself? History will work its way out. Everybody will come together. The whole world will come together, east and west. You think so, huh? Mm. Who, if who? it doesn't come out, you can t crawl up to me in a... Pit who shall be the little child that leads him, Mr. Dulles? The little child will lead him in the cart drawn by two white lambs. You think God's working in us, Jack? Sure. Do you think he's working in our politicians? Oh, sure. Because he concentrate on, on beats. Maybe he'll work on Mao. Mao? What's he got to do with him? He's already a Buddhist. He hasn't got far to go with well, Mao. Mao is no Buddhist. What is he, a Shintoist? Uh, well, he used to be a Taoist poet. Yeah. Who do you love, Jack? Mother, father, child, wife, who is it you love in the world? My mother. You love your mother. Thank you, Jack, for talking about the beats. I'm going to send in my dues as soon as I can get enough money. That was the final part of the interview with Jack Kerouac on the Ben Hecht show, dating all the way back in 1959. I don't know about you, but I could listen to his voice all day. Let's round it off with more from that poetry for the Beat Generation album with Steve Allen on keys. This track is called October in the Railroad Earth.
was a little alley in San Francisco, back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend, in red brick of drowsy, lazy afternoons with everybody at work in offices, in the air you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy, as soon they'll be charging en masse for market and sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers, and even the poor grime be marked Third Street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless and long left East and meanings of responsibility and try, that now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at Third and Howard. It is all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco Chronicles and green call bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight trains. It's all in California. It's all a sea. I swim out of it in afternoons of sun-hot meditation in my jeans with head on handkerchief on brakeman's lantern or, if not working, on book. I look up at blue sky of perfect lost purity and feel the warp of wood of old America beneath me. And I have insane conversations with Negroes in second-story windows above, and everything is pouring in. The switching moves of boxcars in that little alley, which is so much like the alleys of Lowell, and I hear far off in the sense of coming night that engine calling our mountains. But it was that beautiful cut of clouds I could always see above the little SP alley. Puffs floating by from Oakland, or the gate of Marin to the north, or San Jose south. The clarity of Cal to break your heart. It was the fantastic drowse and drum hum of lum mum afternoon, nothing to do. Old Frisco with end of land sadness. The people, the alley full of trucks and cars of businesses nearabouts. Nobody knew or far from cared who I was all my life, 3,500 miles from birth all opened up and at last belonged to me in great America. Now it's night in Third Street. The keen little neons and also yellow bulb lights of impossible to believe flops. The dark ruined shadows moving back of torn yellow shades like a degenerate China with no money. The cats in Annie's alley. The flop comes on, moans, rolls. The street is loaded with darkness. Blue sky above with stars hanging high over old hotel roofs and blowers of hotels moaning out dusts of interior. The grime inside the word in mouths is falling out tooth by tooth. The reading rooms tick-tock big clock with creek chair and slant boards and old faces looking up over rimless spectacles bought in some West Virginia or Florida or Liverpool, England pawn shop long before I was born. And across rains, they've come to the end of the land sadness, end of the world gladness. All your San Francisco will have to fall eventually and burn again. But I'm walking, and one night, a bum fell into the hole of the construction job where they're tearing a sewer by day. The husky Pacific and electric youths in torn jeans who work there often, I think of going up to some of them like 
say, blonde ones with wild hair and torn shirts, and they say, you ought to apply for the railroad. It's much easier work. You don't stand around the street all day and you get much more pay. But this bum fell in the hole. You saw his foot stick out. British MG, also driven by some eccentric, once backed into that hole. And as I came home from a long Saturday afternoon local to Hollister, out of San Jose, miles away across virtuous fields of prune and juice joy, here's this British MG backed and legs up, wheels up into a pit and bums and cops standing right outside the coffee shop. It was the way they fenced it, but he never had the nerve to do it due to the fact that he had no money and nowhere to go and oh, his father was dead and oh, his mother was dead and oh, his sister was dead and oh, his whereabout was dead, was dead. But and then at that time also, I used to lay in my room on long Saturday afternoons listening to Jumpin' George with my fifth toque, no tea, and just under the sheets laughed to hear the crazy music. Mama, he treats your daughter mean. Mama, Papa, don't you come in here, I'll kill you, etc. Getting high by myself in room glooms, and all wondrous knowing about the Negro, the essential American, out there, always finding his solace, his meaning, in the Fellaheen street, and not an abstract morality. And even when he has a church, you see the pastor out front bowing to the ladies on the make. You hear his great vibrant voice on the Sunday Afternoon sidewalk full of sexual vibratos saying, Why, yes, ma'am, but the gospel do say that man was born of woman's womb. <laughs> no, and so, by that time, I come crawling out of my warm sack and hit the street. When I see the railroad ain't gonna call me till 5 a.m. Sunday morning, probably, for a local out of Bay Shore. In fact, always for a local out of Bay Shore. And I go to the whale bar of all the wild bars in the world, the one and only Third and Howard. And there I go in and drink with the madmen, and if I get drunk, I get. The girl who come up to me in there one night, I was there with Al Buckle, said to me, you want to play with me tonight, Jim? And I didn't think I, I didn't think I had enough money. And I told this to Charlie Lowe and he laughed, said, how do you know she wanted money? Always take the chance that she might be out just for love or just out for love. You know what I mean? Don't be a sucker. She was a good looking doll. And she said, how would you like to ool your cool with me, mon? And I stood there like a jerk. In fact, bought drink, got drink drunk that night in the 299 club. I was hit by the proprietor, the band breaking up the fight. Before I had a chance to decide to hit him back, which I didn't want to do anyway. Not on the street. I tried to rush back in, but they had locked the door and were looking at me through the forbidden glass in the door with faces like undersea. I should have played with her shoo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-
and I am joined in the studio now by a local author, Dimity Pettifer. Dimity, how are you today? Very well, thank you. And I believe that you have written a book. Yes, I have indeed, um, called A Maid Among Men. And what is this book about? Is it is it fiction, non-fiction? Um, it's non-fiction. It's a diary I wrote as a 20-year-old university student at Queen's College, mm-hmm. Melbourne, in 1968. Mm-hmm. So... Is this a story that has stayed with you throughout the years and you just always in the back of your mind wanted to, wanted to yes. write it? Yes. Um, in 1968, I wrote about seven diaries and when I had surgery a few years ago, I decided to type them all up as a one-year diary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always I'd thought about it but not really had time to do it seriously, so that's what I did. So is the Three book years ago. right? Is the book told in diary form, or did you take those diaries and translate that into something longer? No, it's purely a diary, um, right. divided into months. Yeah, right. Some months, obviously, longer than others. Right, right. And what was it like going to University of Melbourne? Um, Fifty-two. Well, years I, ago? it it was my first year away from home. I was very naive. I'd been to a girls' school. I was an only child. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I had men asking me out. I had (laughs) dozens of men because it was a men's college. There were 200 men there and seven waitresses. Um, So I failed. You know, it was disastrous. Right. Academically, I failed. Right. (laughs) But I went out with a lot of men. Right. And some of these men, well, the men that you went to university with, we might know. Is that, is that um, right? The only one who people would know would be Red Simons. Yes. Who was a student there, but I had nothing to do with him. Yeah, right, right. Okay. And were you living in Castlemaine at the time? Oh, no. No? no this is 52 years ago. Okay. When uh, did you move up to Castlemaine? Uh, three years ago. I bought the house 13 years ago and I moved up here th- three years ago. Okay. But obviously, you know, I was 20, so I was living at home with my parents um, and then went into this men's college. That mm-hmm. was my first year away from home. Yeah, right. I know you've got a bit of a tickle in your throat from allergies. Yes. But would you mind at all giving us a little bit of a reading? Yes. I mean, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, on you go. So it's the introduction. Yes, I'll read the introduction. Right to read. Excellent. So um, this is uh, Made Among Men. Yes. Uh, Dimity Pettifer. Right, now, the introduction virtually summarises the whole thing, really. Uh, When I was 20, studying third-year arts at Melbourne University, I worked as a student waitress in a men's college. It was free board in return for duty. Queen's was not yet co-educational. That occurred five years later in 1973. There were seven maids, many of us terribly naive. I had been to an all-girls school and had had little to do with men. As an only child, my sole romantic experiences involved crushes on friends, brothers and a gay cousin, lusting after handsome boys on the tram, particularly Scotch boys, and men I met at work. Living in Queen's College with over 200 men was a shock to the system. I failed that year. The following is my diary written in five notebooks in 1968, the year I first left home. My apologies to any person I may offend. This includes my saying that someone was boring or unattractive, effeminate or unstable, immature, silly or obnoxious. 
Only this year I took out a photo of one boyfriend I had considered plain, which I now see 50 years later was not the case. My comments are simply the subjective thoughts and observations of a very young 20-year-old, not necessarily the truth. Many names have been changed, sometimes only thinly disguised. I have retained my remarks about homosexuality because, apart from indicating ignorance, they typify the attitudes of the time. They in no way represent my current views. In 1968, there were no mobile phones, no computers and poor security, as evidenced by one of the students and I walking onto the tarmac at Essendon Airport and boarding a plane to check out the controls. It was a time of less pollution, smaller populations, fewer cars to clog the roads and greater innocence when the Vietnam War raged and Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. However, this is not a chronicle of events. It is simply the diary of a young woman whose thoughts and activities were dominated by her hormones and the natural world. Of the Queen's men and women written about, I have only made contact with a few in recent years. I had lunch with the very charming Reverend Colin Honey in Maryborough, Victoria, in early 2018, and renewed my acquaintance with Hugh Sargent two years earlier. Renee, one of the Queen's College maids, is a close friend of mine. Robin died of cancer many years ago. Bill Bechevet succumbed to complications of heart surgery in March 2017, aged 69. Hugh Sargent and his wife, together with Renee and I, attended Bill's funeral in Geelong. John Anderson, poet extraordinaire, died of leukaemia aged 49 in 1997. Hugh de Garris, now known as Hugo, lives in China with his fourth wife, but plans on returning to Australia soon. He was happy that I published this diary, despite my scathing criticism of him. Mark Nugent, whose real name I have changed, has been a long-term friend of mine for more than 50 years. I blush at many of the things I said about him, and should he recognise himself, which he probably will, I apologise for my infatuation. Thank you, Dimity. Yeah, and your throat held up well yes, as well. Yes, it's amazing. <laughs> Is your background in writing at all? Uh, my background, I had an, did an arts degree at university um, and liked English most of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents both were very creative people. My father was a musician, my mother an artist. So my background's fairly creative and I've always liked writing. Mm-hmm. But I haven't continuously written. Mm-hmm. And can you see yourself writing anything else after this? What's your plan? Um, my next project will probably be a book about my cats. I've got a lot of photographs of my cats in comical positions. <laughs> and I thought one page will be the photo of the cat and on the left will be a caption, a comical caption. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my <laughs> really? next project. <laughs> People love cats. And... Where can we purchase this book and for how much? Um, Stoneman's Bookstore for $30. Yep. And the book is called A A Maid Among Men. A Maid Among Men. Dimity Pettifer is the author. Dimity, thank you so much for coming into the station. Pleasure. And reading is your own work. And best of luck with the release, which is out now. Thank you.
the Lockdown Lowdown, a Main FM community update. You want to hear about which markets are on and where? Do you want all the latest news from the Shire? Want to know who's doing takeaway and home delivery food at the moment? Do you need tips for activities to stop the kids from going bananas? Tune in weekdays from 8.45 on 94.9 Main FM for the Lockdown Lowdown. Updated weekly. You're listening to 94.9 Main FM and there we had Angie Stone with her track Wish I Didn't Miss You. And that is all we have time for today. I hope you enjoyed the Jack Kerouac author retrospective as much as I did trolling through the archives and putting it all together. Another thank you also to author Dimity Pettifer discussing with us her memoir, A Maid Among Men, which you can grab at Stoneman's Book Room, which is, of course, a sponsor. Please support them. Um, you can call them on 5470-5134, and they are open 8 to 4, 7 days a week, and they're also offering free home delivery on all purchases in the local area. Next week, I have Bem LaHunt discussing with us her fantastic new novel, Elephants with Headlights. And that is out now via Transit Lounge, and I'll be speaking to her about that. And we'll also try and get Susan Green in, Susan's from Stowman's. Uh, we'll try and get her in next week to see what's going on in the book world. This has been The Quiet Carriage. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty. You can follow me on all the socials, just search for my name, or visit my website, pauljlaverty.com. I'm going to leave you now with the track Waking on a Pretty Days by Kurt Vile. Until next week, keep safe, keep well, and keep reading. Street light.
Hi, I'm Marie Edwards, your State Member of Parliament for Bendigo West. Castlemaine and district, including Campbell's Creek, Newstead, Malden, Tewton and Harcourt are important parts of my electorate. If you have any questions or anything you wish to discuss that concerns the State Government, I'm here to help. Please phone 5410 for an appointment. Spoken and authorised by M. Edwards, 16 Lockwood Road, Kangaroo Flat, funded from Parliamentary Budget. Marie Edwards, supporting Main FM. Castlemaine Community House is working with many groups across the Shire to address well-being, mental health and the increased risk of family violence during these challenging times. We are working to deliver courses and workshops remotely and would love to hear from you about other programs or support we can offer. Visit cch.org.au or call 5472-4842 for information or to share ideas. Stay connected with Castlemaine Community House, Main FM sponsor.